Hey guys, welcome to the Tech People Podcast. My name is Ken Coyne. I'm your host and founder, as well as head of technology at Ops Talent. I believe at the heart of any success story are the people who made it happen. Diversity, creativity, and innovation, when nurtured in people, can lead to an unbeatable formula. I created this podcast to share the experiences of some truly inspirational leaders on their journey to success. Enjoy the show. Hey guys, I hope you're doing well today, wherever in the world you are. In our this podcast, we continue our current segment on gaming, and I'm delighted to welcome Tommy Pan to the show. Tommy started programming with the Commodore 64, which I have many great memories myself, loading games here, tape, cassette. So for some of you who don't know, I mean, it's equivalent to the Walkman, where we had tape cassettes, and that's how we'd load the games. Tommy set up his first company back in 1999, which was acquired by King, and he's not looked back since. Today, he's the CEO of Resolution Games and also enjoys teaching in a spare time. He writes articles and is a regular speaker at conferences like Game Developers Conferences. He holds lectures at the Royal Institute of Technology in Stockholm and has been a member of the jury of the IGF Mobile, Nokia Innovation Challenge and Swedish Game Awards. So I'm really looking forward to learn more about Tommy, how he got into gaming, how he set up his company, learn from his experiences and talk about some of the projects that he's currently working on. So welcome to the show, Tommy. Thank you, Ken. Great to be on. Oh, thank you. And thank you for your time today. So could you just tell us a bit about your background, Tommy? I know you mentioned, I mean, I looked at your LinkedIn, back to those days of the Commodore 64 and how you started programming. Yeah, sure. I mean, I've uh, been into video games as long as I can remember. I, I was born in the 70s. I'm from Sweden. Right. And uh, I first met video games with uh, arcade machines, you know, pop a coin into them and, and then you would play a little bit. And I found that absolutely fascinating from the age of seven, approximately where, where that came along. And then during the mid 80s, home computers became more and more popular. And I, I finally got one in, in 85 or 86. And I started programming together with, with a friend of mine, Martin, who is the CTO on the company I have now. Okay. So we've been doing video game development for 30 years, more than 30 years together, which has been great. Back in those days, the games that you could buy was similar to what you could make yourself. So it was a very good time to become a programmer or game developer. I didn't know back then that you could actually have that as a profession. It felt like a, it's a fun hobby. And, and the, the game that we were doing back then wasn't, wasn't sold or anything like that. We did it for ourselves or for our friends. So. But it was a great way of learning programming. I went, eventually uh, studied at the Royal Institute of Technology and learned uh, more, a broader range of, of stuff. I got very much interested in the internet and, and how to do a uh, multiplayer game on, on a different scale than had been possible before. And yeah, I started that first company, Jadestone, also with, with Martin. And we were mainly focusing on server side stuff so kind of back end what you could do with the, those new services in order for making games for where people could play together it's it's a very complicated technically complicated part of game like we started it out in kind of massively multiplayer type of of games right. but but uh, mostly with thin clients over web uh, and then we 
very early slipped in on mobile phones and uh, and we got in contact with uh, Nokia and Ericsson and worked with those companies to create some early rather big projects where where people could have a phone on their device uh, sorry have a game on their mobile phone and and then play with with friends and uh, that was a lot of fun but it was very hard to make money from end consumers because those okay. systems weren't set up then early days of web in general was filled with non-paid content because it was very difficult to do payment solution and even today I'd be surprised how non-standard it is in some places you still have to kind of find your credit card a lot of the time and type yeah, in those numbers yes. yeah it feels very ancient but then you know back in in 2008 iPhone came out uh, Apple brought out the iPhone and in 2009, they opened the App Store, and then we could actually make games where the payment solution was already there. It was very uh, smooth for consumers. And all of a sudden, it started to make sense in a different way to make games for mobile phones. So that's where I spent a lot of time. And eventually, I spawned off a company from my first company, Gatestone, called Resolution Games. And that's the company that King acquired. And uh, I worked for King for three years. And that was a lot of fun. King was a rather small company when we joined and was very successful on Facebook games. They were number seven biggest company on Facebook games when we joined. And then Candy Crush became super successful. And uh, that was a really incredible journey to be on. So King went from like 80 when I joined to about 2,000 people when I left three years later. Wow. And that's when I started Resolution Games, where I'm at. Right now, as a CEO and, and co-founder, and we're focusing on virtual reality and augmented reality, which is two new, very, very exciting fields. So kind of tech entrepreneur and engineer, I, I really fascinated on what happens when computers can understand what the camera is seeing, mm. and you can u- utilize that conceptual space around mm. you in order to help, help you do different stuff. And right now, of course, a lot of our focus is just just games and entertainment, yeah. but it really is a very interesting edge between visual computing and, and video game technology, and you can use this a lot in, in productivity and in education and, and tons of other fields. That's very, very interesting. Wow. It's, it's, um, it's fascinating to work with, and I think that we're going to see you know, one of these big revolutions as we did when the internet came, that it's kind of everything all over again. Amazing. Yeah, because I have been learning a bit more about this recently, and a lot of companies seem to be get more, but it doesn't seem to be quite there yet, from what I understand. But no, it's very early days, yeah. It is really that early, yeah. I know, I suppose, among Pokemon Go, that was a big one, really, isn't it? I mean, that definitely was a big success in terms of this augmented reality, but I mean... I think that the big potential really comes when when we have something wearable that is comfortable so we can have it in our kind of everyday life and hopefully it's internet connected so you can do a lot of processing on the cloud and the the internet and and then somehow connect back to you as a wearer and give you this information very quickly like all of a sudden you the computer registers that you are seeing something that might be of interest to you and you can like you know you should be aware that there's a, a lorry 
heading straight towards you and then a speed where you need to move yeah. in order to not get hit. It could be, it's like a, a really wide range of things that this could have a fantastic, yeah. So I was reading a bit about the Google, or the, well, Google also, but Apple, the glasses, is that what you're thinking, what you're talking about in terms of that wearables? And that's, I think, an unconfirmed rumor at this stage, okay. but, but I definitely think that we, you know, smartphones have changed our life quite a bit today and uh, we're going to see a transition from you carrying around a big screen in your pocket it's basically mostly a big screen today that yeah. you are i think there's a, a great opportunity to wear that screen instead and another part of this is having a camera that is constantly on to help you identify stuff it isn't necessarily recording everything that goes on but it's connected to a computer that can quickly help you identify a lot of situations and, and things around you. Wow, very interesting. Well, listen, I'm going to come back to that in a moment because, I mean, you've covered a lot of ground in that introduction and thank you for that. But just go, going back again to those early days, I mean, two young guys setting up the company, I suppose you'd no experience of a company. I mean, where what direction? Was it based on an idea of a game or, I mean, how did you, what was the plan in terms of the initial plan? <laughs> well, my first, the first company I set up wasn't so much of a plan. I like uh, <laughs> actually had another company before that. I, I um, wanted to have a summer job, and uh, that company didn't want to employ me over the summer, so they asked if I could set up my own company to okay. to do consulting instead. So it was good to get that experience. It wasn't that difficult to set up a company. Mm-hmm the bill from that company. And and the interesting thing is then is that you get the money into a company and like a large part of that money would disappear if you used it as salary. So instead you can invest that money. And we kind of got really interested in uh, how that part of society works. Like I was uh, mostly a programmer from education. So this was something that started off as a hobby. Then as I approached the end of my education, I got some bigger software opportunities and I thought time to start a real company instead of just a, like a solo person thing. So, so I did that. And in the beginning, we were doing a little bit of everything. The dream was to start a games company, but I wasn't sure that that was a feasible dream. I knew very little about the business of games at that point. Okay. I, I knew a lot about programming. That was it. And, and there was a huge, you know, the internet boom. There was a lot of easily accessible money from IT consulting. So we're doing a bit of that at the same time as, as using that money to build the games that we wanted to do. First game we built was a soccer manager game. Okay. Originally called True Manager, but eventually we, we met with IDOS, a okay. British company, a British publisher, and we, we uh, launched the game as something called Championship Manager Online, which was... Awesome. Uh, was a big success? Yeah. No, I wouldn't say it was a big success, but it was. <laughs> it really helped us to get to other contracts, and and, and it, it made a bit of money. It was running for ten years. Wow! So it uh, we had a few very hardcore fans. Okay. I don't think we ever reached like I don't think we had hundred thousand people playing it at the same time, but we at least had thousands of players helping it. Yeah, and actually, because you know. I know that a lot of people have this dream, I love games, I can develop games, I can do my own gaming company. 
But how difficult is it really to actually, I mean, based on your experience, actually commercialize this to make a business out of it? I mean, what are the kind of lessons you've learned from your experience? Well, I, to be honest, I think it's hard, right. especially like going straight from school to starting okay. a games business. It's a little bit like wanting to be a rock star. <laughs> a lot okay. of people nourish that dream, mm. but very few actually pull it off. So for me, it was a great way of really getting motivated to learn a lot about, you know, application servers and security and scalability and, and all these things that I could, if the plan of starting a games business hadn't worked, I could fall back on yeah. being just an IT programmer for, for a bank or something soulless like that <laughs> no kidding yeah i think there's there's probably a lot of great work there yeah. as well but for me i had this passion about video games and and even like it wasn't an instant success we were struggling yeah. for a lot like i had many many months of not getting any salary at all but okay. the good thing is when you come from school you're used to living on a shoestring yeah. budget and uh i lived at home my parents until i was Way too old, <laughs> but it was a great way of saving. Yeah, saving. They probably, t- they probably thought you'd never leave. <laughs> yeah, kicked me out. And yeah. So how many? I mean, how many years was it really before you started that first company? Before you really started, you know, getting successful or making a real business of this? Well, I think it depends on. Like we instantly had a lot of money from IT consulting. Like okay. for me as a student, we made half a million pounds approximately in the first year from just recruiting some of the the other students that we knew were talented and hiring them out to uh, yeah to to big companies that needed to kind of yeah. transition over to an internet mindset so there there was like a really big boom of desire to, to get people who knew about building scalable systems and since this was all very, very new technology, it wasn't so many experienced programmers out there who knew how to do it. So I think we were a very good addition, even though we were super green, of course. But uh, uh, some of these services was just coming out of specifications, and then we were just all over that and learned really quickly on how to do it. And then you, you, it was fun, yeah. and, and then we used that money to then build the games that we wanted to build, and we were super inefficient with with building those games. I, I know that today when I actually know how to scope things down, we, we didn't have a, a good sense of, like a great game is not when you build everything you can think of, it's when you're very focused and do something really well. So I can really laugh about how some of those things were built. <laughs> I, like, I go back in time machine and punch my young self on, on why we yeah, wasted so much energy on, on the wrong things. But I think, you know, then again, if the young me would would meet the old and jaded version yeah. of me, the young version would never listen because I was so <laughs> I had so much enthusiasm and, and I, I felt I knew it all, which I think is great if you want to be an entrepreneur and you don't have that network and you you need a, a bit of naivety too. Yeah, well, yeah, because I'm I'm a strong believer. You need to learn from your failures. I mean, is there some key lessons you could say there in terms of the failures you made? <laughs> I, you name it. I feel Where do we like start? I, yeah, yeah. I think there was a lot of overconfidence and and then like uh, 
we knew very little about the administration of how to set up a company and the laws and rules of vacation and, and uh, all these things that kind of learned the hard way. But I mean, definitely very rewarding once you get through yeah. all of these things. And, and it's not the most important part of the business to be great at running the administration. Now, I'm very happy to have both worlds, right? I, I know how to make good games. And I also know how to have a, a good environment to work in. But um, I don't think I knew that at all in, in the yeah. very beginning, of course. It's also a very different thing. Resolution Games, my fifth company now. So I really have been able to fail a couple of times along the way. And, and I'm, I've have been fortunate enough to have rather light fails. I have no bankruptcies behind me or, or anything like that. It's mostly been things that have been in the scope of shouldn't have done that. <laughs> now let's try to fix it. <laughs> I think a lot of uh, whatever project you're building, mm. you have to be rather good at foreseeing the future of what are the problems you're going to get down the line as you try to wrap everything up. And it's very hard to get that somewhere else than experience. Okay. And uh, I've been... As a young entrepreneur, I definitely wasn't good at recruiting experienced people to compliment me. But I have that approach today much more that I, I know what things I'm good at and what mm. things I'm not good at. And then I recruit people to, yeah. who are much better than me in other fields and, and, and help out there. Yeah. I have a fantastic COO in our company who is very structured and organized and like to do things by the book. And the two of us work fantastic together. Uh, I hear that time and time again. I mean, it's a team and complementary of skills. You're not going to be best. You're not going to be good at everything. And that's the key of having a good team behind you, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. And I mean, game development is very, very fascinating because you need teams with experts in different fields. Like you need somebody who's great at music and sound effects. You right. need somebody who's great at drawing. Somebody who takes those drawings and turns them into 3D models and animated stuff. And then you need programmers in all different fields to put that together and turn it into a great interaction, interactive experience. So it's very exciting environment to work in. People are highly motivated and they're often very, very passionate about the products they're building. So it's, I'll recommend anyone to get into the, into the game industry. It's super fun, especially a lot of young kids today mm-hmm. might have a hard time motivating themselves to learn math and physics and all these stuff, but, but game development really gets you early understanding of what you need those things for, what they can be good for. Yeah. So it can visualize it, I guess, and learning at the same time. Yeah. Amazing. And it's good. I mean, you've, you've had some amazing successes selling your company to King that time. Could you, say, could you just expand a bit more on this? Yeah. I mean, we set up a company, me and, and uh, one of my co-founders, Alexander, we wanted to to focus on making mobile games. We've been doing that for a long time, but the Jade Stone, the company I was with, had kind of was a bigger company, was focusing on other things. So we left that and, and focused on making cross-platform games that would run on both your PC and on your mobile phone, or iPhone and Android, and we built up a game engine doing that. We worked with that for three years, uh, rather exactly, and uh, we met King at the conference, and we were talking about the same thing, that we really believed in this cross-platform vision where 
you would play the same game on your computer. And when you were on your go, you would access that game world from your mobile phone and, and continue where you left off on your PC. And it would be highly social, socializable, and you would you know, be able to interact with your friends. And King was telling the same story, but from like the web perspective. And, and uh, they were very successful with a game called Bubble Saga, I think, that was okay. the big, big success on, on Facebook at, the mo- at that time. And they were saying that they were wanting, they saw this transition to mobile phones that a lot of people were interacting with the internet through their mobile phones instead, and that they, they were going to try to dominate that field as well. And on our end, we had identified that we needed to be better at understanding the Facebook APIs and that server side backend of game development is very resource intense. And you can make a, a simple single player game for a mobile phone on your own, but you need a, a full team if you're doing a multiplayer experience. So we started talking to King and we decided that we would kind of do this together. We would use the platform that we had built up called Fiction Factory and uh, take their games from web to smartphone. And one of the first games we, we did that with was Candy Crush Saga. And that turned out super well, of course. Amazing. Yeah, Candy Crush. I mean, that's massive. So they acquired you and then you joined that company. I mean, was that a big challenge? Because, you I mean, obviously being an entrepreneur, being the owner all the time, and now going into a company where you're, you're not really that owner anymore. Was that a big challenge for you? I think in the beginning, it was very like we have a, had a very clear objective on what we wanted to try to achieve together. Mm. Like we had a goal of re- getting 1 million active players on mobile phones, which felt like a crazy big number that very, very difficult to achieve. Because one thing that we're seeing on mobile phones, people love to just download, test things, play for a little bit, and then go on to the next thing. One of the great things that Candy Crush really managed to do was retain people keep them coming back to the same game. So I, as I joined King, it was very clear what we wanted to achieve. And it was a great team that we worked with. Our fabrication games team became the, the mobile team for Candy Crush. And uh, that was the first project we, we, we kicked off with. So and you stayed there for three years, is it? Yeah. So- and, and as that company became very big, right. I felt that I'm better at starting companies okay. and focusing on doing something. So, so that felt very natural to me to go back and, and do something else. And VR was this thing that was clearly different from what King was doing. And I could, again, like I did with mobile, go in very early and learn, learn a lot of lessons in the beginning okay. while, while the industry is small and as it grows you can utilize those uh, learnings. Yeah, so that's resolution games. Now, so you focus purely on for VR and augmented reality. Is that, is that correct? Yes, that's correct. We, internally, we call it visual computing. Okay. Both of those things are, are rather similar. The biggest focus is VR because VR is further along. AR is still, you know, you can have AR in your mobile phone, but that's not really the same thing because it becomes very limited. You have this very small screen you need to hold it up and it's not at all the same thing as if you would magically kind of you have these smart glasses that doesn't really exist yet that's an important thing there is magic leap and there's hololens 2 
And these are good starting, you know, from an engineering point of view, I can use that to kind of foresee what is going to happen. But from a consumer view, those are expensive, bulky. They are, you know, not doing what you would want them to do just yet. Um, so I still think that in order for wearable glasses to take over, we're years away, you know, maybe wow. five years away. So really at the early stage so of this Hopefully. industry. And tell us about some of the projects so that you're working on in terms of the space at the moment. So currently, uh, we have announced that we are releasing a cooking game called uh, Cookout okay. Sandwich Tale, which is a collaborative uh, VR game where you cook together with friends and you have recipes that you put sandwiches together. It's a frantic game where, where you need to collaborate. And uh, cool. it's a lot of fun, a lot of humor, very accessible, you know, something you could play with anyone you don't have to be a, a gamer per se okay. that's something that i've been always very, very adamant about like i i love multiplayer games and i i think the game industry has always been very we're good at making games for gamers and, and people who are already on the inside and, and love games but i do think this is a medium that should concern everybody like movies and books anyone can yeah. understand the the beauty of a fantastic movie and, and I think that we're going to get there with video games as well. Uh, but we still, as an industry, have a lot to learn on how to onboard people. Okay. And it's very, very different to onboard somebody who's been playing. Let's take a first-person shooter as an example, because it's mm-hmm. one of the biggest genres on PC. You know, somebody who's like me, played first-person shooters since they, they came about with Doom and, and Wolfenstein 3D. I don't need a long tutorial on how to run and jump and, and this type of stuff. But if I would try to show it to my mother, one, she wouldn't be interested in shooting anyone. You know, it's just not something yeah. that she ever dreamt about yeah. doing. Secondly, it's overwhelming just to learn how them to use the mouse to look around. So those challenges are things that I'm sure we can, as a video game industry matures, you know, we'll come up with a lot of genres that concerns everybody. And I think that was one of the great innovations with Candy Crush is that it was very easily accessible. It was rather easy to learn if you hadn't played video games before. And it managed to convert a lot of people who'd never played game in their life into finding like, oh, this is actually something that's a ton of fun to yeah. to do on your spare time. You know, you, you I heard a lot of stories of people going to bed and they had a stressful day and they needed to do something to stop thinking about what was going round and round in their head. And, and a great puzzle game is fantastic for them. Yeah, awesome. So I think, uh, you know, games can do a lot of good. It's a, a medium that has super much potential in front of it. And I, I think and hope we will see it a lot more in, in education and integrated in in uh, places in our society that can be hard to imagine at the, right now. Yeah. Do you also think it can impact socially? Uh, where people are just constantly playing games and they become unsociable? Is that, do you see an issue with that? Yeah, um, I definitely think that you, you can play too much mm. games. But I also think that for some people, it gives them purpose. Like some people might not have great lives with, mm. with, with a lot of friends 
in real life, but in a, in a video game where they could actually meet other players and become somebody really popular in that video game. And I think that can, you know, if you look as a concerned parent at your kid just sitting in front of a computer, it looks like they're doing nothing. But in their, that game, they're leading a group of people, a guild to defeat some right. dragon and, and become super popular. So it's a kind of two-edged sword where you, where you have you know, definitely young people who would need to go out more in, into nature and, and, uh, and spend more time studying. Video games are very good at grabbing attention and constantly feeding you dopamines of like success factors. And, and it, it's, uh, I don't think that you can get addicted to video games at this point as you can to drugs or gambling where it can destroy somebody's life. But I do think that we need to be cautious about this as a technology that will be better and better. And eventually it'll be hard for even adults to, to you know, yeah, go out and, you know, I'm 46. And sometimes when I play a video game, I just lose track of time completely. Oh. And I go out and it's like, oh, I should have eaten dinner <laughs> hours ago. But I just forgot. Yeah. So I do think that there's like a responsibility there for, for game developers as well to kind of think about how your games are impacting society and, and what message you're leaving. At Resolution Games, we try to be aware and, and social conscious about, about what type of games we do. I think something that I can see as, as a game designer and an avid gamer is that if you look at games from the 90s, a good example is Command & Conquer. It was yeah. released now again uh, recently as a remastered version, like last yeah. week. It was very popular in the, the 90s. But if you look at that, the pacing is very different from one, many modern games. You get like no breaks at all. It's just Constant. overwhelming you with information and you need to act super quickly. Okay. Hopefully, if you're playing on the internet, the game doesn't take two hours. But if it does, <laughs> you go out and be like, it's just overwhelmed you. Today, we're much better at implementing some breaks where, where you okay. get a natural uh, pause and orient yourself yeah. in the real world. A good point, actually. What amazes me also is just, because uh, I have two small kids, nine and 11, YouTube, watching gamers of play games on YouTube, it's nearly bigger than playing the games themselves. Yeah, it's a trend that I don't think is going away (laughs) for sure. I mean, it's way easier today to look at somebody else playing. And uh, as you become interested in in a person that you're following, it becomes very fun to create entertainment to see that person being very good and being funny. And it's a huge industry in itself these days. And and, and it's, it's not going away. I think that from a video game's designer perspective I like we can we can do more to integrate that where you can okay. interact more directly right now the interaction is often outside the game itself but these platforms like youtube and twitch is getting apis and tools so we can integrate their things into the game itself which is really cool yeah that's incredible but going back to the cookout is that that's finished now is you when are you launching it that's not quite finished. It's okay. uh, it's soon to be launched. Not sure we have a date, but it's, it's around the corner. And then we have also announced that we are releasing something called Blaston. Okay. 
or blast on in, in uh, English, I guess. We have a French creative director, and this is his idea. So, so that's why we're all pronouncing it with a French accent. Yeah, I was wondering. And uh, Blaston is a really cool game where you're actually moving your body a lot. So you can see a teaser on our website to get an idea of what it is. But it's this game is is a shooter or like a dueling game where you you grab a gun and you shoot at your opponent. Okay. But you can also dodge bullets. You can move your body and try to stay away, stay out of the way. So it becomes like one of these old school called bullet hell games where it's like bullets everywhere and you kind of need to navigate through the space. So it's very physical. You need to use your legs and your whole body weight quite a lot and go up and down and to the sides. You stand sort of still in a small, you don't need a large room. You don't run around, but stand in the same place. But it's similar to a game of tennis almost. It's really an interesting concept. Awesome. Yeah. Uh, sorry, when is that one coming out? Or have you got a release date? Uh, no, no release date for that either. But okay. those are two launches that's coming up soon. And how do you, I mean, launching these games? I mean, how are you? How do you go about launching a game like that? What's involved? I mean, how does marketing get it out? There? Well, yes, uh, the, the technical thing of it is fairly simple these days. You need to connect to the platform holder. Oculus Rift right. is one of the the platforms, Oculus is the company, they're doing several different, they have the Oculus Quest and the mm-hmm. Oculus Rift. And you, you speak to them to make sure that they're okay releasing this game, a certain date, and then you submit your binary files. And then you have the marketing side of this as well. Something that's much more common today is that as a developer, you're also the publisher. Okay. So you need to do the marketing yourself. And uh, that can range you know with candy crush yeah i can only imagine a lot of money was spent on buying ads on tv and uh, even newspapers and kind of old school advertising but more, more common is digital advertising on facebook and uh, google ads and you do trailers and you do uh, banners and this type of thing yeah, okay so what do I mean? What, what is there like in your experience? Has there been a more effective way of marketing or getting the games out there over other mediums? Um, what you've learned? It depends on with virtual reality. It's still very difficult because it's such a small market. Okay. Very few people have these platforms still. Uh, we are seeing a trend that it's growing with, especially the Oculus Quest. People who bought that is very happy customers so they keep buying things and, and keep playing the games which is great but the, the platforms that came out before that we saw like there is a novelty factor you know you need to have a good gaming pc you need to have the latest drivers installed there's a lot of things can go wrong just because pc is a very open platform somebody has some software that doesn't like a you know antivirus software that crashes with something and, and then doesn't work for them. So people trailed off too quickly. But right. I think the Oculus kind of, uh, Quest found its real form factor. So that's a much bigger audience today, which is good. We have approximately right now, I'd say 70% of our consumers in the States, in the US. Okay. So if you want to market something, you need to do it there. 
doesn't I couldn't like put a big poster up here in Sweden. I would reach <laughs> very, very few of oh, our, okay. our consumers. So the US, USO is the biggest market sold in this space at the moment. Yeah, and that depends on the fact that there's been a limited amount of hardware. They have mainly sold out in the US. So it never reached the stores in Sweden. The UK is a fairly big market as well. I think it's about 10% of our consumers are in the UK. That's quite big, yeah. In terms of, you know, because like for startups, for example, over 90% of startups fail. Is that similar, would you say, in gaming or not? I don't know. I mean, how to determine success. In the I, I would, games. yeah, exactly. I would, like, I, I meet a lot of uh, young entrepreneurs in the game scene, especially, and most of them want to build a game rather than starting a successful business. So yeah. the, like the first, it was almost the same thing for me that I was more interested in building the game of my dream. And that's like a, a long enough time horizon for you to have when you're <laughs> leaving school and like yeah. what, what to do next. You know, you don't plan 50 years of your future. You know, you're going to have this huge electronic arts of a company with right. multiple games and mm-hmm. different genres kind of focus on one thing. So I think a lot of indies today, they focus on one game. And as they finish the development of that, which far from everybody does, then the next step becomes like, oh, how do I market this? And then next step after that might, okay, what am I doing next? Maybe I want to do a successful company. What does that entail? So I think a lot of people are, are fine with just releasing and getting that game out there as the first thing. Starting a business is a, it's a different ball game, and it depends there as well. You know, you can start a small thing where it's you and a friend, and the object is to be able to do this sustainably and take out some sort of salary from it. Or your ambition is to create something that is really big and you know become a billionaire. They do in but, Silicon Valley. Yeah, okay, but <laughs> you need a lot of money behind you. Yeah, you probably do. Or you. Like the the guy who created Minecraft is in Sweden. Mm. He didn't have a, a lot of money behind him. He just had great timing and perseverance, and I would say a bit of luck because yeah. of the timing issues. So that turned out really well for his game. But I think that's a little bit of a yeah. kind of a unicorn situation that yes. doesn't happen to everybody, of course. But it's it's a great it's a great story, and it can it shows that it can happen. Yes. Well, I mean, I think it makes a lot of sense. What you, you were doing consulting on one side, then you could develop your game on the other side. Would you say that's a good strategy to take? Yeah, if you were, um, I mean, it, it all has its pros and cons, right? Like you don't get to spend all your time on, on developing a game. On the other hand, it makes you much more financially stable and you're learning a lot of things, most likely on somebody else's dime. Yeah. So, so that could be really good. Yeah, I think that there is definitely a lot of big businesses out in the society that is very interested in people playing video games, if nothing else, right? The young audience is leaving linear TV and these traditional advertising channels. So it could be a really interesting place to get eyeballs to create a game around something. So, so I do think that there's a lot of interesting collaboration areas from the traditional industries. Okay. And that's an area where if you're a young startup and you don't want to 
venture capital is maybe very hard to achieve from your leaving school directly. I think maybe your your father's company could be an entrance like to do a first smaller gig where they don't pay a fortune. They pay a little bit of money to get you started to do something that could be really enjoyable for consumers. But have yeah. a and for I mean, yeah, interesting. So you're focusing on the VR and AR for the future. I mean, for, for young people now or get other even experienced uh, developers, I mean, what would you recommend in terms of getting into this industry and to learn more about it? Um, is it education, self-learning? Yeah, I think there's like today there's so much great podcasts and, and uh, <laughs> resources on the internet. We typically use uh, Unity, it's a game engine. Unity 3D is yeah. a game engine that is incredibly powerful and they have a lot of learning materials. It's very easy to get up and running with from an early age. Okay, I think it's, it's a rather big tool these days, mm-hmm. but there's also a lot of resources online, YouTube videos and interactive tutorials and, and things like that. So it's a great place to be able to set something up very quickly that actually runs on your phone or runs on your PC or wherever you want to target. Fantastic, Tommy. And can I just ask you, then, I might cut your time. So for a few, what does the future hold for you? What's, I mean, is just continue building out VR and AR games? Yes, yeah, like something that we are very interested in right now as, as the VR uh, games community starts, we, we finally feel that there's time to do multiplayer games and social experiences. That's something that I, is extremely strong in this technology because when you put on a VR headset, it feels like you're there. If you're there with somebody else, it feels like you're actually in the same room. Incredibly powerful thing. So it's if you're doing something together in the game, you have much more fun than you would if you were playing a multiplayer game on a PC. So that's a focus area for us right now to do the most out of that as a player coming into the ecosystem. And both Blaston and Cookout are great examples of early days of, of social VR. Yeah, listen. I wish you amazing success with those games, with Cookout and, and Blaston. I'll be watching out because I'm actually lo- I'm, I'm looking to purchase uh, an Oculus request at the moment. They're difficult to get, but um, I'll, I'll be checking out your games. And uh, thank you for your time Good. today. Thank you very much.